Grab a beer and pull up a deck chair. I'm your host, Cambo, and this is True Crime Island, special edition. Hi, Islanders. Tonight, I have an update from the final three days of the Matthew Levison inquiry that resumed last week. And I also include the full statement from Matthew's parents, Mark and Faye Levison. If you haven't listened to the episode I did earlier on the case, it is episode four, and you may want to pause and come back. I've also updated the case on several special edition episodes as well. 60 Minutes Australia did a piece tonight, which should be available on the internet by the time you are listening to this. So, let's first back up a little bit. 20-year-old Matthew Levison went missing after attending the ARQ nightclub with his boyfriend, 43-year-old Michael Atkins. They were both seen on CCTV footage in the early hours of Sunday, September the 23rd, 2007, leaving the club. After not appearing for work on the Tuesday, and after calls to his relatives failed to find him, Matthew was reported missing. Eventually, Michael Atkins was taken in for questioning, where detectives failed to warn him he was under caution. Because of this, crucial evidence of Atkins purchasing a Matic and gaffer tape at a hardware store was deemed inadmissible, and after being charged with murder, Atkins ends up being acquitted. So... Eventually, Mark and Faye Levison campaign to get a coronial inquiry for Matthew's disappearance. Atkins finally does a deal with the state and the Levison family to tell investigators where Matt's body is buried in return for immunity from prosecution. As I said, for more detail, please go to my episode 4 and have a listen. Eventually, after 10 years of looking... They do find Matt's body, so the family can finally bring him home. Now, we've just had a resumption of the inquiry where three days were set down. Day one, police tell the inquiry that in November of 2016, Atkins provided a 21-page statement to them outlining what happened on the night that Matthew went missing. I've gathered most of this from the ABC Australia news site as I did not attend the inquiry myself. So I go on. Atkins told them he had a falling out with Matthew at the ARQ nightclub in Darlinghurst and they returned home in the early hours of Sunday, September 23. Mr Atkins told police he slept on the lounge and in the morning he found Matthew dead in their bed. He said there were drugs in the kitchen, but he did not see Matthew consume them. He assumed that was the cause of his death. Atkins was concerned about his reputation because he was the older partner and was worried what people might think, particularly when there were drugs involved. In the statement, police said Mr Atkins told them he wrapped Matthew's body in a blanket or sheet, 
placed him in a in the car and pushed the vehicle out so not to disturb nearby residents. Atkins said he dug a hole, placed Matthew's body in it and covered it up. Mr Atkins described the hole as 2 by 1 metres wide and 800 millimetres deep. He told police he then disposed of the car at a known gay beat. So, after all these years with Matt's family in such distress in trying to find their son's whereabouts or body, Atkins chose to stay silent until he was backed up against a wall and threatened with further prosecution. He's had all this time to come up with a plausible story in regards to what happened that night. But as he has been found to be a fucking liar over the years, the story he has come up with conveniently shifts blame for Matt's death onto Matt himself. Now let's just have a look at what Atkins said. Okay, they had an argument that night and Atkins says he left Matt in the bedroom and went to sleep on the couch. Atkins wakes up to find Matt dead, found a bottle of GHB, which is a common club drug or date rape drug, in the kitchen. He then decides to pull the huge subwoofer from Matt's car, wrap Matt's body in a blanket and take him to the bush and burying him. Bury him leaving his car in a known gay beat, which is a toilet block at the edge of the park. He says he did this because he did not want to ruin his reputation because drugs were involved. Okay, so if Matt did overdose, don't you think, especially if you love someone as much as he said he loved Matt, don't you think you would immediately call an ambulance and police? No, Atkins thought of self-preservation first. You thought, fuck the family, even though they are out of their minds wondering what had happened to their beloved son. Yeah, just lie and lie and lie, saving yourself. Reputation. Oh my God, Atkins, you were known around the clubs, around the clubs as a drug dealer, so don't give me that utter bullshit. You even went out looking for your next route a day later, for fuck's sake. You were lucky to get off with the murder of Matt, but your story does not add up. You're nothing but a very disgusting old man, not worthy of anything but life in prison. You just buried Matt in the middle of nowhere and for years let Mark and Faye Levison search for Matty and that was 10 years. Of course, there's no forensic evidence to prove or disprove your story. Only the fact that you're a lying fucking piece of shit. Okay, let's get to day two. Police go into more detail about the statement Atkins gave last November. Detective Senior Constable uh, Scott Craddock from the New South Wales Homicide Squad asked a series of questions. Detective, Detective Senior Constable Craddock, can you tell me your knowledge as to what happened to Matthew Levison? Michael Atkins, yes, he had a drug overdose. Matt went to the kitchen and I'm not sure what he did in the kitchen, but later I saw there was a bottle of GBH out on the bench. 
Now, GHB is commonly called GBH uh, for gross bodily harm. Atkins goes on. I went into the bedroom and saw that Matt was lying on the ground with his eyes open and he was not breathing and had a funny colour and he was dead. I did not know what to do and just sat there with him. Later when I was lying next to him, I told him that I loved him. Atkins also drew a diagram for police depicting the couple's unit and a stick figure with the words location of Matt's body when I first saw it. Detective Senior Constable Craddock went on to uh, ask Atkins, when did you decide to cover up this situation? Atkins replies, it was probably half an hour after I stopped lying with Matt. I was not thinking straight. I then came up with the idea of burying his body and I thought to go to Bunnings to get a mattock and and duct tape. Detective Senior Constable Craddock then asked, How would you think burying Matt's body would make it all better? Atkins replied, I was not thinking clearly. I thought people would think he's just gone away or is missing because he had done that before. Atkins was then asked, What would that achieve? Atkins replies, I thought the problem would go away in some weird way. Well... What can you say to that? I I thought the problem would go away in some weird way. Fuck's sake. Anyway, I think I've said enough about this scum and his lies, so I'll go on to the final day when Mark and Faye get to have their say. They stood at the steps of the coroner's court and showed the media photos of the skeletal remains of Matt that were recovered. In court... Matt's mother, Faye, said she'd been scared that she would die before her son's body was found. Faye said, He let us go through hell and torment, all the while knowing where Matt was. That's one of the cruelest things that a human being could do to another. Matthew's father, Mark Leveson, said while he was grateful the coronial process led to to the discovery of his son's body, it had not answered questions as to how he died. Mark Leveson disagreed with a version of events that Atkins finally gave to police and said it was more likely his son suffered a violent death. It's more likely that Matt was asphyxiated and only one person, perhaps two, will ever know the truth. So, Atkins will not be required to give more evidence at the inquest with Deputy State Coroner Elaine Truscott finding he has no credibility as a witness. She said, Mr Atkins has consistently lied. By his own admission, he gave evidence that was not truthful. There is neither purpose nor permit to require him to give evidence. I do not consider it it is in the interest of justice to require Mr Atkins to continue to give evidence at this inquest. The coroner also said that it is, that it is more, than, more likely than not that Mr Atkins will be found to have given deliberately false evidence and be liable to prosecution for perjury. Aside from the location of Matthew's burial, there are matters in his statement which would, if Mr Atkins was required to give evidence, be subject to much challenge and further litigation.
She also described his statement and assistance in locating Mr. Levison's remains as entirely self-serving. So everyone knows he's a lying cunt and I now read out Mr. Levison's statement. Inquest into the death of Matthew Levison, closing statement by Mark Levison. How was your day? How are things at work? How soon before your next holiday? These are some of the simple everyday questions I will never again get to ask my son, Matthew. Matt is frozen in time to me, forever being a happy and gay 20-year-old man. Stolen from us is not just Matt, but the chance to see him grow and age, to tackle life's problems, to win some, to lose some. We could have celebrated his victories, commiserated his losses, but sadly, that will never be. Matthew was taken from my family and me on the 23rd of September 2007. Michael Atkins then heartlessly and callously secreted his lifeless body, like garbage in bushland south of Sydney. Atkins was interviewed by police at length and couldn't give us the truth so that we could get Matt back. We will be forever grateful to the coroner for facilitating Matthew being brought home to us. But as parents and his brothers, it is frustrating in the extreme that we'll never know the manner in which our son's life was taken from us. Some would say that Matt died from a drug overdose, although forensically that can never be proven. It is more likely that Matt was asphyxiated and only one person, perhaps two, will ever know the truth. We will go to our graves never knowing whether Matt died violently or not and that will haunt us forever. We have tattoos to remember Matt, the first one being my tombstone tattoo as we never had a real place to visit because Matt's body was hidden from us. Without warning and out of nowhere, certain sounds, smells, sights bring all the memories, good and bad, flooding back in vivid, grim detail. Atkins chose to hide in the cell below the court when he was charged with Matt's murder and not even come into court to offer a plea. Instead, he chose to go to jail for 13 months until his murder trial began. I strongly question whether those are the actions of an innocent man. We have reluctantly been forced to think like a criminal to assist in our search for Matt. Where can I hide a body? How do I conceal a corpse? How hard is the ground? Can I dig a grave here? Would the smell of a decomposing corpse travel this far? What a great pity we are talking about our middle son. No person should lose a son and then have to continually battle the system to get what you deserve. The justice system favours the accused. The victims and their families are left to fight. Fighting is what we have learned to do and sadly had to do. We had to overcome incompetent investigators early in Matt's case. We've had to deal with the impotent victims' aids organisations. We've had to battle politicians for rewards. We've had to battle police administration to access aspects of Matt's investigation. 
We've had to fight for an inquest. And worst of all, we've had to attend the Supreme Court and witness the inequities in the criminal justice system firsthand. We now won't accept no as an answer. People remark to us, how well are we coping? They only see the public levisons and not private ones who struggle every single day to be able to function, struggle to concentrate on work, the private heartache and strain placed on our relationships, the so-called friends we have lost because they just don't know what to say to us. They hide from us in supermarkets. They cross the road when they see us. I will begin closing in offering thanks, heartfelt thanks. Over the years, we have dealt with some wonderfully competent and professional police officers, court staff in the criminal trial, and this inquest has been so supportive. We've received valued support from Howard Brown and also Peter Rolfe, staff of the New South Wales Crown Solicitor's Office and past and present counsels assisting the coroner have provided us with excellent support and assistance when needed. Mitch and Anthony from LJ Williams helped unearth Maddie. I end with huge thanks to the Deputy Coroner for the compassion she has extended to us and even visited the crime scene a number of times. Lastly, the current members of Strike Force Bowditch, whose grit and determination has seen this through to the end and helped us bring Maddie home. We had no idea what an astute judge of character Matt was. In what would have been one of his final communications before his life ended, he described Atkins as a fucking cunt. How right, Matt. God bless you, Matt. And now to Faye Levison's closing. How do you put into words how the murder and subsequent hiding of Matty's body have affected me? There are some things that can't be put into words. One can try, but the impact on me and my immediate family will never be explained or justified by any amount of words. Devastating, heart-wrenching, broken, tormented, grief-stricken are just a few and nowhere near how I really feel. There have been times I don't want to go on anymore. I just want to close my eyes and never wake up. I've had to watch and stand by feeling helpless while watching two other beautiful sons, Pete and Jace, whom I love just the same as Matt unconditionally, going through the pain and heartache of losing Maddie. I've had to watch and endure the pain Mark is going through at losing his son. Seeing my sons in such great pain is more than a mum can bear. A mum can put up with her own hurt, but to see Pete and Jace hurting has, has been and still is a living torture for me that never goes away or gets any easier. Why? Because nothing I can say or do will ever take their pain away. I can't give them Matt back alive. Why is this so? Because Michael Peter Atkins took him away from us. He buried his body and hid Maddie for nine years, eight months and eight days. He let us go through hell and torment, knowing all the while where Matt was. 
That is one of the cruelest things that a human being could do to another. The day I was told Maddie was missing, my world fell apart and my heart was broken, never to be repaired again, as part of me died. From that moment forward, I knew my life, as I'd once known it, would never be the same again. What has unfolded over the last 10 years and 11 months and still counting has taken a toll on the whole family. But we are strong and our bond together is even stronger. Nothing or no one can break our bond of love. I just wanted to curl up in a ball and go to sleep. But to do that would further add to the pain my boys were going through and also that would mean Michael Peter Atkins had won and he wasn't going to win. He's picked the wrong family. Every night I go to bed with Matt on my mind and trying to think of a way how I could ease the pain of my other sons and knowing deep that there's nothing I can do. No mum or dad should outlive their child, but we have. No mum or dad should have to bury their child no matter at what age. Your child is your child no matter what age. It hurts like hell just the same. But to date, it is 10 years, 11 months on, and we still haven't been able to bury Matty with the love and dignity he so truly deserves. We won't be able to dress Matt in his favourite suit for his funeral, when we finally have a funeral. How do you dress a skeleton, especially while part of Matty is still in the National Park and probably never to be recovered? Of a morning when I woke up prior to Matt being found, I would think to myself, is today the day? Please, God, let it be. Every morning I wake up and force myself out of bed and put a mask for the world to see. People say I'm strong, but I am not. For the past 10 years, I've struggled to get out of bed and go to work and then try and concentrate and some days I just find myself at work not being able to work, but instead I have Matt on my mind and with one goal to bring him home at all costs. I would find myself googling maps of the National Park, looking for possible sites to search. I was scared that we would die before we found Matt. Pete and Jace would be left to continue the search. That always weighed heavily on me. For nine years, eight months and eight days, we searched and we searched hundreds of places around the Royal National Park, always feeling defeated when we didn't find Matt, but at the same time determined not to give up. Our lives have been turned upside down and inside out. My emotions, my family's emotions, have been all over the shop. We have been living a never-ending nightmare. No mum, dad, siblings and soulmates should ever have to watch their son, brother, soulmate exhumed from a bush grave over a day and watch Matt being taken out of the ground piece by piece and his bones rebuilt on a dirty tarp on the ground. We did. We then had to watch them pat pack Matty up and place him in white cardboard boxes that were then walked past us and placed in the boot of a car. 
Some of his bones were placed in brown paper bags and taken away on the final day of the search. No one should ever have to see that. No one. Matt lost all his dignity the day Atkins dumped him in the grounds like a piece of garbage. The five of us, Mark, Pete, Jace, Rachel and I, should never ever have to witness such a horrific sight of Matty reduced to bones. We will never be able to get those images out of our head. Every night since then I go to bed crying as I've done over the last nearly 10 years. But now instead of crying about where Matt could be, I replay the images of him being found and how undignified it was for Matty. At first all we saw was his pelvic bone and two leg bones. I keep seeing my beautiful Matty reduced to bones, being taken out of his makeshift grave piece by piece, bone by bone, with his skull in pieces and his hands, feet and his arm bone and partial arm bone missing. Matty deserved much better than to end up like that dumped in the bush. I cannot and never will get those images out of my mind. They are burned in my mind forevermore. Atkins said he loved Matt. You don't do that to someone you love. I want Atkins to be forced to see Matt in the morgue to see the consequences of his actions towards Matt. Every night, every single night, I wake up at 3.20am. I don't think I've had a full night's sleep in nearly 10 years. I doubt that I will ever have a full night's sleep again. As I said, I replay images of Matty, but now instead of where he could be, it is images of how he was found in the ground. But my mind still plays scenarios as to what happened to Matty. As I know, I will go to my grave without ever knowing the truth. Because as far as I'm concerned, Atkins account of what happened to Matt is one big lie. He has had over nine years to come up with a story. The only attestable thing in his statement is where Matty was buried. And even then, he led the police on a bit of a wild goose chase. Why didn't he tell us nine and a half years ago where Matt was on the 23rd of September 2007? The only reason he gave us back Matt in May this year is because he was under threat of having to go to jail on perjury charges. If he wasn't facing those charges, I doubt very much he would have told us where Matt was. We will always be left wondering, did Matty suffer? Did he die quickly, or was it slow and painful? Was he terrified? Did he fight back? Was he smothered with a pillow? Was he held underwater? Did Atkins give Matty the fatal dose or just enough in a drink to render him unconscious and then bury him alive? Was Matty unconscious when he buried him? The answer to these questions and many more like these ones will never be answered. I will go to my grave not knowing really what happened to Matty. To add insult to injury, we've had to fight for nearly 10 years tooth and nail every step of the way to get where we are today. The original investigation was flawed and our treatment by certain police was horrendous. We've had to deal with lost evidence, 
lost paperwork. Even here in the coroner's court, a letter written by us was misplaced and the incorrect copy used. We were knocked back on raising the rewards before the inquest started. But we didn't take no for an answer and tried again. The REAC committee, faceless, heartless group of people, should be ashamed of themselves and not hide behind a veil of secrecy. Reward should be automatic and set at $1 million like Victoria and South Australia. Families should not be be made to beg and justify why they want a reward. It is demoralising and makes us feel our loved ones' lives do not matter and or are rated as to what the REAC thinks they are worth and in some cases no reward is offered. Every one of the cold cases and newly unsolved murder cases should be set at $1 million. Even if only one case is solved by the use of a reward, it would be worth it. Maybe if there'd been a $1 million reward for Matt, a person may have come forward. But it wasn't, so we'll never know. Every government department along the way has kicked us in the guts. We were backed into a corner by the so-called justice system and forced to do a deal with the devil and a liar. We had no other alternative if we wanted to find Matt. Even Michael Peter Atkins, a known liar and perjurer, has tried to stop this inquest saying it was unlawful. Now I'm starting to feel we were forced into this corner to do a deal so the police can just close another case and move on to the next. Michael Peter Atkins' version of events was tended to show what Atkins said, but not as evidence of truth. His actions after Matt was deceased are not of a grieving partner, but rather of a cold, calculating individual that doesn't know the meaning of love nor sorry. There is no evidence to support that Matt overdosed. No evidence at all. The only evidence is only the word of a liar, a person who has had nine and a half years to come up with a story. There is only one testable fact in Atkins' own statement, and that is the location of Maddie. He only gave the location of Maddie to the police to get out of facing jail time for perjury. Maddie was a vibrant, beautiful young man. His life was taken from him 11 weeks and 3 days, or 80 days before his 21st birthday, which he never got to celebrate. He never got to celebrate Jace 18th, which was 8 weeks and 6 days, or 62 days after his life was cut short. Matty had had enough of Atkins and he was going to leave him. He had told work colleagues that he was going to leave Atkins. He did leave Atkins, but on Atkins' terms. If it was an overdose, why go to the trouble of hiding Matt's body? Why not just ring Triple O and say he found him that way? Atkins could have hidden the cash and money. And why didn't he get rid of the drugs? Because he still sold them in the days following Matt's death and made money. As I said, Matt was an intelligent, vibrant, beautiful young man who loved his family and friends. He had plans for his future. 
He was in the middle of looking for a new car and getting help from his dad about loans. He wanted to travel the world and he was talking about taking up scuba diving again. He was talking about advancing out of the call centre and maybe into another section when he could. He loved his job and his work colleagues. One of his bosses once told me he was her go-to man. If she would ask him to jump a foot, he would jump two feet. He had the world at his feet. Maddie loved to party and dance and he loved going out for dinner. That was until Atkins came along. His travel and his going out to restaurants stopped. Matt was the kind of person that you would, who would give you the shirt off his back if he needed it. He was always doing things for his friends and helping out where and when he could. Matty always said he wanted to be an organ donor if anything happened to him. Even that was taken away from him. Matty came out as gay just before his HSC, but that was no surprise to us. Mark and I had known since he was at least four years old. We loved him unconditionally. Being gay wasn't and isn't an issue to us. It doesn't change the person you are. If you have a beautiful heart, you have a beautiful heart. And Maddie did. I was so proud of him and always will be. We always make mistakes along the way in life. But unfortunately, Matt's mistake of getting involved with Atkins cost his life. Matt was a jokester and a prankster. When he was growing up, he loved Christmas and Christmas was always a big thing in our house. So too were birthdays. Not anymore. They are just stark reminders that we have an empty chair at the table and Matty is no longer with us to help celebrate. As the years roll by, it only gets harder and harder and the heartache gets worse. We will never have the pleasure of watching our three beautiful sons, Pete, Matt and Jace, grow old together. I will always wonder what Matt could would be doing now, how he looked and what adventures he'd been on or about to embark on. All we can do now is imagine. As for us, Matt is forever 20 years old. He is forever frozen in time and forever young. I have watched Matt's friends grow into adults, get engaged, married, have children, travel and all the things young people do, wishing Maddie was still alive and be part of their journey with them. I will never get to hear Matt's voice, infectious laughter, his quick-witted jokes and his unforgettable bear hugs and kisses he used to give me. I always said I loved you when I said goodbye to him. My only big regret is that I didn't get to say it one more time to him. I didn't get to give him one last big hug. I didn't get to say goodbye for the final time. I didn't get to tell him I was so proud of him. And I didn't get to say happy 21st birthday, Matt. I love you with all my heart. Maddie was not supposed to die before me. Matty was robbed of his chance to grow old with his family, brothers, soulmates and friends. Matty was a loving son, awesome brother, beautiful soulmate, best friend, cousin and friend to many. Matt is our shining star. He is the biggest, brightest and most twinkling star in the night sky. 
The one thing Atkins can never, ever take from us is our love and beautiful memories of Maddie. Maddie will live on in my broken heart forever. I will never forget my beautiful son, who was so full of life, energy and love. I only hope this inquest highlights all the things that went wrong that shouldn't have. And recommendations are made so that no family will ever have to go through what we have had to over the last nearly 10 years. Well, that's pretty powerful. It's just a sad and tragic story. Thoughts and prayers go out to the Levison family and from not only myself, but I'm sure from all of the Islanders. Okay, Islanders, that's the end of the show, so let's get into the uh, thank you part. Uh, For Patreon, thank you all for supporting the island. There are new supporters to shout out to, and a big thanks to Janine Madden, Roseanne, Roseanne Sinclair from California Dreaming, True Crime Tales from the Golden State. You've got to have a listen to that. Uh, Heather Budd, and to Karen Wickham from the Stat Podcast for being the latest patrons to Ireland. Thank you very much. Your donations do go a long way, and they are greatly appreciated. So for as little as a dollar a month for a weekly episode, you get you too can become a financial supporter. Or if you just want to leave a one-off donation, the PayPal is cambo at truecrimeisland.com. Koozies and stickers are ready to roll, and I posted some out on Friday and more to go out on Monday. Patreons will get their stickers posted next week. Koozie prices are on my Facebook page, but get in touch if you need more information. They're for 330ml bottles or 330ml cans. They're selling pretty well, so get in early. I also have a merch site that you might find via my website for hoodies, t-shirts and mugs. Uh, But there is a free way to support the island by rating and reviewing on iTunes and any other podcast site. Join the Facebook site and join in. Get on Twitter and spread the love. And the best way is to share with families, family or friends and show them the wide world of podcasting. I won't go on too much tonight, but many thanks to Katie, who transcribed the Mark and Faye Levison statement for me today. Big hugs and kisses to her. She's also helping me with two cases from Thailand that I hope to bring you in the near future. Also, if you are a new listener and are listening via my website, www.truecrimeisland.com, if you scroll to the bottom in the episode tab, there is a link to a second page of episodes as Squarespace only allow 20 episodes per page. You'll see the older and the newer link. I have a few trailers at the end of the show tonight, so please have a listen and check out the shows. They are really worth the sub. I don't normally play this many, but it's only a couple of minutes. So, this is your host, Cambo, signing off. Remember, don't forget to delete your browser history. You've been listening to True Crime Island Special Edition. Good night. 
Wrongful convictions are more common than you might think. I spent almost 17 years in prison for a first-degree murder I did not commit. Here are the struggles of those who've been wrongly accused. And all of a sudden, I'm arrested in front of my home. Oh, I thought it was a stick-up. Wrongly convicted. They assigned to him Charles Nelson Plowden, who was a tax lawyer. And unjustly incarcerated for crimes they did not commit. But when you're innocent, you got armor around your morale, and it's nothing that can beat it down. Listen, learn, and advocate with the Actual Innocence Podcast. Hi guys, this is Charlie from the Insight Podcast. And this is Ali, two hosts from Two Continents. Every week we cover a new case from unsolved mysteries to forgotten history to crimes that changed or challenged our legal system in some way. To get to know us and our podcast better, we recommend our episodes on Gene Spangler, Nicholas Barclay, the missing kid at the centre of the documentary The Imposter, and Alison Baden-Clay. New episodes go up every Monday. You can find us on iTunes and pretty much every other podcast. Hello everyone, my name is Karen Wickiam and I am the host of STAT, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. I was a nurse for over 20 years in the emergency department and decided to hang up my stethoscope and pick up the mic and talk about strange medicine from around the world, bizarre treatments, medical mysteries, scary diseases, and everything in between. And I'm also going to interweave some wild, weird, and incredible true stories from my time as an ER nurse. So please come join me, Stat, Shocking Traumas and Treatments. And remember, sometimes it's the cure that kills you. They Walk Among Us is a podcast exploring the UK's most sinister and surreal crimes, including the woman who killed the boyfriend as he spent too much time on Facebook, to the teenage boys whose online relationship involves spies, sex, and the near-fatal stabbing of one of them. Subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast provider.